It's time for Spotlight on KRWC, our first Tuesday of the month of April. And uh, we get back to regular rotation here with District 877 uh, Superintendent Dr. Scott Tillman, who joins us on spring break. Doesn't look much like spring, Scott, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm sure the people that were able to uh, take advantage and get out of town um, are uh, are liking this yeah. um, because uh, it is, uh, I guess, something that happens in Minnesota probably more than we um, think. Uh, we get the snow and we continue to have that snow um, going into uh, sometimes May. Yeah. So I shouldn't. I shouldn't talk about that. Uh, maybe I'll jinx us. But, well, um, you know, the thing was, this this particular year, we didn't, um, a lot of times we get that stuff in March, and we really didn't have much of that in March, but um, so who knows? Yeah, it was interesting to wake up to over three inches of snow on Monday morning. Kind of messy, yeah. And I didn't have to drive the roads to <laughs> determine whether or not we were going to have yeah. a late start. That so was, that was a bonus. The timing was good there. So. <laughs> For me, it was, yeah. Um, and as I said, we, we have spring break right now. Um, we had uh, no students um, starting last Friday um, as we had a teacher workshop, and it was the end of the third term um, for our, our students. So um, we're uh, experiencing or uh, celebrating spring break at this time. So no students um, in, in-house um, right now, and, um, and students will return on the 11th of uh, April. Okay. And, um, you know, as I'm reviewing our numbers with uh, COVID, I think the last time we talked, um, you know, we tracked those every day. And um, currently, um, we have uh, staff and students. When we, as we track those um, those numbers, um, we we look at every building and we look at um, students and staff. And right now, um, we have one active case in the whole district, um, and that'll fall off because um, they will have had their uh, quarantine time, uh, we report those every, um, every Thursday of the month, or of the, yeah, every Thursday of the, of the week of, of every month since the beginning of the year. And we've had, um, and we'll still, uh, when we report out on Thursday, unless we have another case coming out, um, we'll have zero uh, cases for uh, four reporting periods in a row. Actually, it'll be five if this if the numbers hold true. So that's great news. We still have our eye on what's happening around the world as we're seeing some, you know, uh, COVID cases in other countries, um, different variants, and so we're hoping that um, it doesn't impact impact uh, the United States like it has in the past, and um, and hoping we can finish out strong for the year. Sounds good. We're um Certainly keeping a watch on it here, too, and uh, it seems like the uh, trend through the whole county has been kind of the same, where it's been down, 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 down for uh, multiple weeks in a row. Not that it's not still circulating out there a little bit, but uh, hopefully it's on its downhill side, I hope, anyway. 
it would be it would be great news if it continues this um, and sustains this uh, downward trend. Um, I I want to switch gears a little bit as um, this time of the year, um, all eyes are on our state capital, and um, I mentioned that last month a little bit um, when we look at our budgeting, um, we we take a look at student enrollment and. Last year, uh, during the pandemic, we lost 320 students. And this year, we anticipated we'd have half of them come back. And when we began the year talking back in uh, August and September, I was reporting that we thought we were going to end up with um, half of them returning. We are planning for half of them to return, so 160 students to come back. Um, that seemed to be the picture in September, but by the time we get to October, um, when we finalize our enrollment uh, to the state of Minnesota, we only got about 80 of those back. So that uh, has an impact on our budget because that um, that's our direct um, funding is uh, based on student enrollment. And when we went into the year, we, we thought we were going to be in a better place. Um, we also know that, you know, we've been dealing with COVID and we've had um, students who uh, may or may not have been uh, with us the whole year or they might have been at homeschooling or um, at, a, at another school district. And we're seeing students who um, have some learning loss. And last year, knowing that we were going to probably only get half of those students back, we had projected that we would need to cut um, 15 staff members. Instead, we cut 7.5 staff members. And um, we started the year with with those numbers. It wasn't perfect, but it was uh, something that we were able to uh, put into place and make happen. And so then when we go into the next year, uh, meaning the 22-23 school year, that's where our focus is. Uh, it, it's also on this year, obviously. Um, the the district was um, in need of cutting uh, another uh, 15 staff members. And uh, through conversation and uh, looking at the use of some one-time uh, state and federal dollars, um, we were able to make up some of that, but also had to use um, the district's fund balance to not cut any staff going into next year, knowing that we continue to have students who are experiencing um, social-emotional learning um, deficits and then also um, academic deficits. And so by uh, the board not cutting the budget, It'll be utilizing all of its federal and state funds, and then uh, which are one-time monies, and then uh, cutting into the fund balance, which is one-time monies also. So we're projected to have about a $2.4 million deficit, meaning we would have to cut that much. Um, instead, we're going to use the fund balances, and then we look to the legislature to, um, to make school districts whole, and not just Buffalo, Hanover, Montrose School District, uh, the school districts throughout the state. And um, we're not unlike 
many of the other districts where um, we're, we're utilizing our fund balances or our federal um, and state dollars, the one-time money from uh, for COVID relief funds. And um, we're, we're dealing with deficits in special education that has gone on for decades and um, trying to fill those holes. Looking at the state of Minnesota, um, if our community hasn't heard already, there's a surplus of $9.235 billion. Um, and those are some ongoing funds. In addition to the rainy day or the, uh, the uh, required uh, reserve has $3 billion in it. And so uh, just as a point of reference, uh, 20 years ago when I started as a superintendent, the state had about a $265 million reserve account, and now it has a $3 billion reserve account and um, a $9.235 billion surplus. Um, there's some talk um, by other entities that talk about, hey, we should have a tax break and give that money back because we're collecting too much money. But um, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind everyone that um, the costs of, uh, of education haven't been fully funded uh, in decades. And that is uh, specific, uh, specifically to the special education uh, funding. We um, are committed to providing special education services. So this isn't, um, this isn't a, a comment about not providing services who, to students who have um, and qualify uh, for special uh, services. It's that um, the state and federal government need to completely fund it, which they made that commitment to back in 1975. Uh, it still hasn't happened. So in the state of Minnesota, there's a $700 million, uh, $780 million deficit uh, in special education funding. Uh, for Buffalo Hanover Montrose, that's $6.2 million um, on an annual basis. So um, un unfortunately, I hear radio ads or I hear TV ads, and they talk about um, giving all the money back because we collected too much. And I have to remind folks that um, you, the school districts haven't been made whole in decades, going all the way back to 1975. And um, it would be nice if they would uh, fully fund education before they start to give money back um, because that's, um, that's a hardship that our students um, endure. Uh, each and every year, and um, it really comes down to staffing because that's what school districts are are charged to do: hire teachers and staff to support our students. So, it is um, it is critical that we receive that funding. When I look at, uh, did you have a question? I was just going to say too, Scott. You know the um, the thing that uh, it kind of brings up for me, or or kind of points out for me, is that it it really puts a lot of pressure not only. Uh, for school boards, not only here, but, uh, you know, virtually throughout all of our listening area and probably throughout the state, it makes for some tough decisions because um, the shortfall in, in that one area alone is large enough that, um, you know, it, it can be kind of a, a driver. And then if, if you have 
other things that kind of you know springboard off of that. Now you're you're dealing with some some rough uh, tough decisions to be made. That's exactly right. In in uh, Wright County, uh, there were three operating referendums last fall, and all three operating referendums failed. Uh, Delano, St. Michael, Albertville, and Monticello, all three had operating referendums that failed. Uh, Buffalo Hanover Montrose was able to pass an operating referendum a couple of years earlier than that. It was $750 per student. Um, the equivalent of about $450, uh, $4.5 million on an annual basis. The sad thing about that is I just told you that the cross-subsidy, meaning uh, the special ed deficit, has to be made up from our general fund. And um, we our, our um, special ed deficit from the state and federal government is approximately uh, $1,047 per student. So the operating referendum that our community passed really is offsetting this um, special education deficit or cross subsidy, as the state calls it, and it's it's tragic. It's it's a travesty that um, our legislators can't see um, the impact that it's having. You know, it goes back to the local community, and and we're asking folks to raise their their property taxes in order to uh, support uh, public education, which is in our state's constitution. And um, so it, it's, a, it's a constant education um, process that we take up as school board members or as superintendents across the state to remind our legislators that they are responsible for funding, fully funding public education, and um, and that's where it's it's tough to hear an ad uh, saying that we have all this money, we need to give it back when uh, it really isn't even um, funding the school districts, and then it has an impact on our children and and the opportunities they receive in their school districts, and it's not. Again, not just in Buffalo, Hand, or Montrose, it's throughout the state. So, um, you know, when we review some of these, um, the legislation that's coming out um, with the House and the Senate, uh, just a quick, uh, you know, uh, synopsis. So when I look here, the House has uh, in their omnibus education bill, they're um, marking about $422 million dollars. Um, for education, and uh, it's going to address uh, special ed cross-subsidy and, and um, the English learner cross-subsidy. Uh, it has some uh, literacy aid. Again, I just said that the state of Minnesota has a $780 million deficit annually, and the bill has $422 million in it. So I, there's a disconnect. Um, uh, at the state level, where people are not um, comprehending the magnitude of this deficit, um, and then I look at the house and say, "Hey, that's well, we're moving towards it a little over half of what the special education cross subsidy deficit is." Uh, and then I look at the Senate and their omnibus education bill, uh, Senate File Forty One Thirteen. 
um, has $1.4 million in it. I just said it was $780 million. Here it's $1.4 million. Um, the governor, you know, when we look at his bill, he's talking about 2% on the formula. Well, for our district, that's about $750,000. So it's, it's a drop in the bucket when we have a $6.2 million deficit on an annual basis. So it's, it's mind-boggling to me, Tim, that I, we have these conversations and people just can't see what's happening. And uh, they want to just pass the buck, uh, pass the responsibility on to somewhere else, uh, somebody else. So I'm sorry that I'm I'm venting a little bit on, <laughs> on the radio, but that's our reality every day as we as we um, have those conversations with our elected officials. You know, it strikes me too, uh, Scott, that uh, you know, for property owners, you know, homeowners, uh, households with or without students in the district. Um, and again, it's not just this one, but lots of districts uh, throughout the states and many here in Wright County. I don't know if it's, you know, I have nothing really to back it up other than a hunch. But to, uh, for me, it, it almost seems like that we're talking about numbers with so many zeros here that I think for a lot of people, the the size of this kind of is just so out of proportion. I don't think people really can fully uh, come to grips with it. I know I have trouble understanding it. Yeah, and and that's the <clears throat> that's the um, I guess mantra is <laughs> like, oh, it's such a big problem, we're not going to address it. And it's like, well, no, stop spending in other areas because you know education is the only uh, education trunk highway system are the only two things in the state's constitution that are required to be funded. All of the other things that they pay for are not constitutionally mandated. And so um, that's the hard part in all of this is that uh, it wants to get brushed aside for some pet project. And, um, you know, public education should be somebody's pet project and and really um, uh, examined. Uh, I know that all the education groups... um, that uh, meet with our legislators are saying those same things. Now, education can't contribute to a super PAC or, you know, a a, a legislative campaign. And maybe that's the problem, you know, because it's a a publicly funded entity um, that uh, just doesn't get the recognition. And again, that's my own personal opinion. But it's, it's, you know, baffling that um, that this hasn't been addressed. I mean, there, there have been legislative platforms of education groups going back, um, you know, three bienniums where uh, they were asking for just, hey, let's tackle the cross-subsidy in special education by one-fourth each biennium and take four bienniums and make school districts whole. So that's an eight-year period, nothing. Nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's, that's the tragic part of all of this. So I'll get off my soapbox, <laughs> um, and I appreciate you letting me um, uh, express my frustration well, uh, yeah, on the air. It's a big topic, you know, and I mean, uh, when, when people um, 
again, take these numbers into consideration. There's uh, there's a lot to think about there, and and I just feel, you know, the the members of school boards uh, in our area and all across the state have just got such immense jobs uh, to do. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very complex. Daunting. Yeah, it's daunting because we have great staff and they want to keep everybody and. Um, you know, we go through a, a pandemic for the last couple of years, and it puts stress on everybody. And I can't be more proud of our teachers and our uh, principals and our support staff um, every day coming in, taking in additional responsibilities so that we have a great experience and a uh, great relationship with our students so we can meet their needs. And so that's what it's all about. Um, all of this conversation about funding really is about how um, um, we can provide opportunities for our students. It's all about students and and what um, access they have to resources and opportunities in in our community. And I, I just uh, thank our, our uh, staff um, for going above and beyond, and we'll continue to do that as we move forward. And, you know, that that leads us into the staffing process that we've um, do annually, and as I said, we we are not um, going to cut staff. Uh, we also have to prepare for retirements, and and unfortunately, sometimes uh, we experience resignations because of um, the demands or stress that uh, staff have um, uh, endured through this pandemic. So, it'll be um, something that we f- focus on now through the end of the school year. Um, our admin are working during spring break. There are a few that uh, do take some time off. Um, and I know our high school staff are working on the new schedule. It's not going to be implemented in 22-23, but 23-24 uh, school year. But that that's a lot of work and changing over. Um, they're going to go from a block schedule to a trimester schedule at the high school, and they're working on that right now and um, working to uh, make sure that we utilize all this time um, because at this time next year, all of those students will be registering for all of those classes in the new trimester uh, system uh, schedule at the high school. So a lot of work going on right now, even though we're in spring break, uh, staff are our administrators and other staff uh, are working through that, and um, and uh, as I said, we're also sprinting to uh, graduation and starting the fourth quarter when the kids come back on on the 11th. Um, and so, I'll I'll wrap up by uh, just sending out or um, talking about a couple of reminders. Um, our uh, 877 Foundation. Uh, Scholarship Foundation is uh, a group of individuals that meet um, monthly, and their sole uh, purpose is to provide scholarships uh, for the students in Buffalo Hanover Montrose uh, School District at Buffalo High School. And um, they have a uh, an annual um, scholarship pork chop dinner, and we're looking forward to that on Thursday, April fourteenth at the Buffalo Community Middle School. 
we are going to have dine-in again this year. It's been a couple of years since we had the ability to um, stop in the school and see um, folks you haven't seen in a while, or we have the curbside pickup, which we've had for the last two years. So if you go to the uh, 877foundation.org uh, site, uh, you can buy your tickets online, and um, and they'll have a confirmation for you, and then that'll help them with uh, making sure they uh, have enough pork chops for everybody. So uh, take advantage of that. I think we're going to end up, uh, we'll have a link on our website to the 877 Foundation, and our website is BHM Schools with an S on it, plural, dot org, uh, uh, www.bhmschools.org, and you can order your uh, pork chop dinners online. Uh, they prefer that way, but if uh, people show up, we can sell them uh, on site also. And then uh, another um, favorite uh, for our, our younger families is we're bringing back the Early Childhood Family Education Family Fair. So the ECFE Family Fair is uh, back in place. It's going to be uh, this month on April 23rd. It's a Saturday, and it'll be right here at Discovery Elementary uh, Gymnasium. Uh, it's a great uh, family fun uh, event. The school board members will be there. They're handing out books to uh, families. Uh, they'll, they'll sign up every hour. Um, actually, every 15 minutes, they'll give away a book. And so um, it's great to see families, young families with kids in strollers and little ones um, and uh, our early child, uh, childhood family education uh, department um, put on that through community education. So uh, those are a couple of um, reminders, and I appreciate the time, Tim. I kind of rambled on a little bit, but um, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it every month. Not a problem. It's a big uh big situation and uh, something that's got to be uh, talked about so all right scott always good to talk with you and uh, we'll be one month closer to graduation here next month looking forward yeah. to it. okay all thanks right. a lot district 877 superintendent dr scott tillman our guest on today's spotlight on krwc